0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message. Would you please give a warm, real-life welcome to uh, Pastor Britton Cottrell and his bride, Miranda. Thanks. Man, that is so true. Um, <laughs> what can I say? We loved uh, Colorado. You want your Bible? Yeah, follow along with me if you would. Uh, It's been so good to be Pastor Chris's mentor over the years and um, teach him everything he knows about life and ministry and how to be a good husband and all of that. And, uh, yeah, we we served on staff together. What a fun time it really was. And uh, then our friends moved out here, and so, yeah, we decided to come out for a visit. So um, I want to just say this on a serious note. Uh, Pastor Chris, it's evident that... uh, God dwells in this place. Um, Just to hear the struggles of moving, I know it's difficult. Anytime you pick up a family and you move to a new place, uh, it's hard, and transition is difficult. But to see how God has blessed you and what he's doing in this church, I just think there are some incredible days ahead. Uh, for this church body of believers, and uh, I'm excited to see what God is going to do in your lives. I I met some of you uh, last year in Colorado. Uh, You came out for a wedding, not to see me. Pastor Chris came out to do a wedding, and he had a few moments, but I just, for those of you that were there, you'll understand what I'm talking about. I wanted you to know in Colorado, we went digital now, so um, just so you're all aware, that's just a candle, and uh, we use digital candles for uh, special occasions, so. I want to share with you, I'm really honored, Pastor Chris, that you would allow me to share on this day that um, I know you're going to be taking a few moments to pray over your new youth pastors, and uh, my wife Miranda and I have served in youth ministry for about 15 years, and uh, 15 amazing years as we navigate youth ministry not knowing uh, what we're doing. I mean, the truth is, you may sit back and go, how in the world do you minister to teenagers? I still don't know. Um, But what I know is that when you pursue God and you love him with all of your heart, uh, he helps you along the way. And uh, you figure that out. And today I want to just share a message uh, that I believe is not only timely, Uh, talking about your new youth pastors and youth ministry and the next generation, but I feel as timely for the church today. And uh, maybe you have woken up in the last couple of weeks recently, and you've just recognized and and realized that it's a new year, like 2019. There's something weird that happens, you know, in December through Christmas, and you're getting excited for New Year's, but it's it's weird when the calendar flips over and you're in a new year. And do you ever just kind of wake up and go, what happened? What happened to 2018? Maybe you're like... Thank God 2019 is finally here because you're, you're looking forward. But oftentimes in life, we kind of have this mentality that life passes us by because we're wondering, you know, if I can just imagine going back when you're a child, if I can just get through school and I can just graduate high school, life is going to be so much easier, right? Do you think that high school students are tell me that all the time, man, if I can just graduate, things will be so much more smooth, and then they realize college comes up, right? Or that job. And they, you know what? If I can just get through this job or finish my degree, life is going to be so much more simple. And then they get married and they start having children. We have uh, one daughter, by the way. She's eight years old. Uh, something interesting about my daughter, she loves pickles. Uh, she will eat pickles nonstop. Uh, dill pickles, kosher pickles, gherkin pickles. She loves them. So anyway, if you ask her ask her about her pickles, she uh, loves those. But uh, as kids are growing up, you think, "Man, if I can just raise my family and get these kids to uh, serve God, and, and you know, then I can enjoy life, right?" And you're looking forward to retirement. Well, then all of a sudden, you realize when you thought you could retire at 65, it's now 75 or 85 that you can retire, right? But there will be one day. Maybe some of you have reached that moment of retirement, and you sit on your porch and you rock back and forth and you talk about how the good old days have already passed you by, right? And you look back. And and I'm here to tell you today that we need to live in the moment that God has for us right now. We need to know uh, in in Psalm chapter 127, verse number one, I want to share this verse with you. And we're going to go on to Ephesians chapter five in here a moment. But someone once said that life is what happens to you uh, when you're making plans to do other things. Do you ever feel like you're planning and you're trying to make things just perfect and then you wake up one day and life happened to you? Circumstances came your way and it just happened. It's true that another year is upon us and the New Year stretches before us and maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions. Maybe you've uh, made some goals. I can just tell you something. Living in Kentucky, I don't know how you'd have any kind of diet goals living here. I've had like two hot browns since I've been here. I've had candy. You guys scoop cookie dough in ice cream cones and eat it that way. Like that was heaven. Um, I love the food here, but I could never make a New Year's resolution uh, to eat healthy, at least for a few years after uh, I was here for a while. But maybe you've, you've contemplated 2019, but are you ready? Are you really ready for what God has for you tomorrow? Better yet, are you really ready for what God has for you today? Psalm 127 verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor it, labor in vain. I'm going to read that again. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, labor in vain. And so I have a question for you. Who's building your house? You may be saying, well, we already have a house. we got a nice little place. we got 10 acres right outside the city here, and we really love it. Now, I'm talking about your home. The Bible says uh, in, the, in the original Greek and Hebrew, that word house is really translated, and it, it references buildings, yes, it references the dwelling place, but really what it's referring to is the sense of your household or your family. The New Testament really expounds that to, to really include the house of God. Who is building the house of God? Who is establishing uh, God's house in, in this place? In Richmond, Kentucky, who is building the house of God? Who, who is at the center of real-life community church? You see, when you build a house, you need a good foundation. You need good walls, and you definitely need a roof when it rains nonstop the entire time you visit here. (laughs) All around us, though, we see results of how the enemy is trying to destroy lives. You don't have to go very far. You don't have to talk to too many people to find out that the enemy is, uh, he's raging war against the Christian. He's raging war against your family. He's raging war against your spouse. He's raging war against your neighbors. You only have to turn on the news for a moment before you're uh, bound to be discouraged about how life continues to be a, a digression sometimes. And you feel like, man, you just take one step forward as a nation, and then you feel like you're five steps backwards. It's not too exciting to look at those things that are happening, but today I want to talk about the foundation that God would want us to build because sometimes we listen to those news reports and we get discouraged you know, over the last 15 years, Miranda and I, we've been able to go to uh, a lot of different places. And, and right now in, in the ministry that, that we're doing, God has just opened some doors for us to travel and do some things uh, we didn't always get to do. But we just returned from Uganda uh, in October. Actually, it was, yeah, first part of November. And it was a great trip. The Nelsons uh, went with us. We took our children. Sometimes you have to get out of your little comfort zone to really begin to see the world in a different viewpoint. Can I just tell you something? As I travel, as I talk to people, as I've gone to different nations, that God is still moving. God is still God. The news does not dictate who our God is. The news does not dictate his power and his authority. The news and and the media and I don't care what political party you hail from, uh, that does not dictate who God is. I want to see more of God here in America. I want to see God begin a revival in churches that are uh, faithfully seeking him. That last song that we sang, what a powerful song, speaking of the faithfulness of God. God is so faithful. You may be hitting a brick wall right now and you feel like the enemy is prowling around. The Bible is very clear that is going to happen. The enemy wants to uh, attack you. The enemy wants to put you in your place. He wants to make you complacent. But I'm here to say that God has a plan and God has a purpose. And 2019 doesn't have to be five more steps backwards. But instead, he wants you to see that his desire is to move in your midst. His desire is that he wants you to build a foundation that is strong. This church and what Pastor Chris and your team are doing here, it's building the foundation. When you're talking about giving and giving 51%, what an incredible goal that is. And I think God is going to uh, richly bless and honor uh, that desire and the work that you're doing here. But what you're doing, Pastor Chris, is you're building a strong foundation. You see, we have to build a foundation and not just live for a good cause. Where we live in Colorado, it seems like there is a cause for just about everything, right? Like people live for a good cause. They're raising money uh, to save trees. They're they're raising money, and there's good causes and marches uh, on the Capitol for just about anything you can think of. When I was younger, growing up, we I don't know what you call them out here, but we call them prairie dogs, right? Little these little like gophers that run around, and and they're really a nuisance, especially if you have uh, livestock or or uh, know horses things like that they can dig holes and and uh, animals can break legs and we'd get thousands of them but we would just go out and we'd take care of those things you know and by taking care i don't mean feeding them a five course dinner i mean we just we we took care of them but in colorado they're a protected species i mean you go to a parks that say prairie dog park and you're going what in the world is this you know It's a good cause. Somebody wants to fight for the paradox. You know, I wish that people would fight for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ as much as they fight for good causes. Now, I'm not saying there aren't good causes out there. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be involved in your community and good things that the community is doing. But folks, if your motivation is simply a good cause, you're missing it. Your motivation and your foundation needs to be the word of God and what he desires to do in your life. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse number 1, says Paul says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Pastor Chris, I learned one thing when I was going through Bible school. When you open the Word of God and it says, therefore, that it's probably talking about something before that. There's a therefore for a reason. So if you were to go read through Ephesians, in particular Ephesians chapter 4, you would understand that Paul isn't writing this book uh, many times as he does to churches because there's a problem or there's a spiritual issue. He is really writing, talking to the church about their maturity. He's talking to them about building uh, the, each other up in Christ and building that foundation. And so those first three chapters, uh, he's laying that foundation. Chapter four, he's talking about building up the body of Christ, the unity and the leadership gifts that exist, growing in our faith and living as children of light. Do you know that when you have an encounter with Jesus and you understand the price that he paid for you and you trust in him, do you do you realize that your life should be different after you accept Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, that you are children of light, that we are to live as children of light. And so therefore, as he is laying the foundation, he's saying, look, in order to be mature, you are to walk as Christ did. And he starts out chapter five and he says, therefore, how do you build that foundation? Therefore, you be imitators of God as beloved children. Going on, he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of this place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I'm going to just continue to cruise through here because he is laying a foundation of what it looks like to be imitators of God. Verse number seven. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says... Awake, O sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse number 15, let's look at this. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time because we know that the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I know that was long. But folks, I felt like it was important to read the context of what Paul is writing here. He's saying, look, if you want to be mature, if you want to have a solid foundation, if you don't want to feel like you're on shaky ground, then it's time that you establish the foundation. And that foundation is built on the word of Jesus Christ. It's built on modeling and imitating Jesus Christ. Paul says, number one, we must imitate God. We must imitate him. You see, the enemy has robbed us of truth. There is no absolute truth in America anymore. It's just however you feel. It's whatever cause seems to be the good cause of the day. That's what people want you to think. That's what the enemy is designing you uh, to be is to just think that that sounds pretty good. George Barna, I don't know if you know George Barna, but he publishes many documents and books, and he's a pollster that really studies uh, uh, churches and and the Christian faith. and um, He did a year-end review uh, a few years ago, and he says this. He says, now that we are comfortable with the idea of being spiritual as opposed to devoutly Christian— He points out that Americans typically draw from a broad treasury of moral, spiritual, and ethical sources of thought in order to uh, concord the uniquely personal brand of faith. What's that mean? So he's saying that people just kind of shop around for their faith. Like I'm going to go to real life community church because I really like how they sing there. But I'm not so big on how Pastor Chris, you know, talks about sin. So, you know, we like to go for the worship once in a while, but then we sneak out, and then we go for a few weeks over to this other church because they just make us feel good. You know what I mean? Like, I want to go home. I don't don't want to feel like, like the pastor was talking directly to me. Every time I walk in that church, he says something. It's like he's been following me on Facebook, and he's just preaching at me, right? I don't like that. I want to go to a little bit bigger church where I can just sneak in there, right? And they just don't know who I am. I mean, people shop for their faith. They have a distorted view of what truth is because we don't like to be confronted with the truth. When you build a house and you lay that foundation, that is the most important part of the entire construction process on that house. I can tell you that because I've lived in houses where I had to replace walls, had to replace roofs, but you'll have to replace the entire house if you have to replace the foundation. It's no good. It, it'll fall. And consequently, Barna says, more and more people are engaged in a hybrid faith. You see, they don't imitate God anymore. They imitate man. They imitate the, the joyful things that man is doing, the things that seem to be fun and exciting. I often look at the life of Jesus, and as he was uh, leading his disciples, do you know many times Jesus did not say, hey, follow me. It's going to be a party. This is going to be really cool. Check this out, right? C- come, come here. Wait till you see what I'm about to do over here. No, he often said it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. The path that we're on, not many people are going to choose it. He, he would say, follow me, though, as I follow the Father. And he would encourage them to lay that foundation. Folks, it's not Disneyland every day when we serve Jesus because the enemy has our number. But it's, Disney, it's way better than Disneyland when we understand the love of the Father and his plan and his purpose for our life. There is no greater joy, no greater fulfillment than walking in the plan that God has for your life. You want to know what God's will is for you? You want to understand what his plans are for you? Lay the foundation. Begin to let your lives reflect and imitate a God who is holy, a God who deserves glory and honor that should not be mocked, that should not be taken lightly, should not be considered someone who is a hybrid faith, but instead that we put all of our trust and our hope and our faith in him alone. We must imitate God. Paul goes on to say, number two, make the most of every opportunity. Paul says that uh, he gives us this reason, why do we make the most of every opportunity? Because the days are evil. Does anybody agree with me? You feel like there's some evil days right now that we live in? I mean, I, I bet every generation has said this as they've gotten older. Can you believe that what we, but man, I, I just feel it. I sense that, that the enemy just wants to destroy our lives. As, as we draw near to God, he, he is at work to try to separate us from God. Jesus said the words that Satan is a robber. He's a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And one of the things that he tries to rob from us is our home. He wants to steal the house. Moms and dads, he wants to steal your, your children. He wants to steal your spouse. Church, he wants to steal that person next to you. As we look at the next generation that is so desperately in need of an encounter with a living God to understand the truth of God's word, we realize that the enemy is trying to rob them of that. He's trying to rob them of hearing what absolute truth is. He's trying to rob them of understanding what real love is like. Just think of the time people have wasted in sin and foolishness because we don't understand this. Think of how much, uh, you know, it's not just about being a steward of our finances. Pastor Chris, you said this. It's about being a steward of our time as well. Making the most of every opportunity. Let's talk about teenagers for a minute. You have youth pastors that are dedicating themselves to serving God and trusting him. And Can I be honest? I I don't know how you feel uh, about teenagers, but there are times where I just go, man, I just don't get it. You know, kids will show up with a new app on their phone. They're like, Pastor Britton, why are you not on this app? I'm like, I don't, even, I don't even know what you're talking about. And they'll spend like three seconds trying to show me, you just do this and you do this. I'm like, guys, I, I can't figure this out. So I don't, I don't know anything about Snapchat. But that's like the thing, I guess, and for some, especially junior high kids and high school kids. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know how to use it, don't know what it is. But one of the kids downloaded it to my phone. They set me up an account and they said, now you got to use this. A few weeks later, they came back and said, now I've sent you some stuff. Did you get it? I'm like, what are you talking about? You sent me some stuff, like, like where is it? It's not in my email. I mean, I just have a hard time getting it. You know what I'm saying? Teenagers are hard to figure out. But here's one thing I know: they have the same needs that we have. They want to be loved. They want to be accepted. Deep down, they want to know truth. And it's our responsibility as youth leaders and youth pastors and leaders in this church, more importantly as parents, to dedicate ourselves and saying, you know what, I'm going to fight for my teenager. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my kids. There was a poll that was recently done, and they asked 1,100 teenagers ages 12 to 18, they asked them the question, who plays the most important role in your life? In other words, who is the greatest role model in your life? And you may think this, and, and as I ask that question even to you, you might be thinking what you uh, perceive to be the answer. We might think it might be a famous person or it might be a sports person. 67, almost 68% of every teenager that was asked said that they believe that parents are their most important role model today in their life. That may shock you. You may feel disconnected with your child. You may feel sometimes disconnected with your teenager, but I'm telling you, they look up to you more than they look up to their youth pastor. They're looking to you for the answer more than they're looking to Pastor Chris for the answer. They're looking to you even more than they're looking to the world. 68% of them say, I turn to my mom and dad first. The next followed up was teachers, coaches, and religious leaders. You see, religious leaders only make up 18%. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to undervalue, H- hear me what I'm saying, I'm not trying to undervalue what happens here and the teaching that goes on in this church and the, the leadership, That it's, it's so important, but folks, I got to tell you, what, what happens here should be a support, right? It should just simply be a resource to build up the body of believers that are already doing it in their home. Right? That, that when you get up every day, that foundation is not just right here. You, you can't walk in this door and say, My life is messed up. The church is on shaky ground. No, it's, it's your foundation that you're building. Right? The church is a part of that. But the foundation of this church is only as good as the foundation of your own life. You're, you're a team here. The, the, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking about the unity of believers, that everybody has a part. That that we're all part of the body of Christ, but we have different functions, and we, we, we serve differently, and we have different roles. But guess what? We're all called to serve, but that body is injured when part of it doesn't function correctly. When we don't lay the foundation church at home, it's really hard. Let me just tell you, it's really hard for youth pastors to come in and spend an hour a week and try to fix everything else. But when that foundation is laid at home, can I tell you that hour a week can be the greatest hour of a week. As we come, we begin to build and we begin to help them mature. We teach truth and we speak life into them. I'm speaking to every one of us because whether you've been a Christian your entire life or whether you just are hearing about Jesus for the first time today, I'm telling you, it's time that we repair the foundation in our lives. The Mayo Clinic commissioned one of the largest research projects ever to study the next generation of teenagers, and they studied high-risk behaviors, and researchers asked more than 90,000 junior and senior high students to fill out anonymous questionnaires. Those questionnaires were followed up with more than 12,000 face-to-face interviews, and they targeted key areas of mental health and emotional uh, stability, drug abuse, sexual involvement, on and on and on. And the conclusion of this report was simply this. They they wrote this, Mayo Clinic published this and says, the most effective way to protect young people from unhealthy or dangerous behaviors is for parents to be involved in their child's life. In nearly every case, teenagers who reported a strong connection with their parents were less likely to engage in those behaviors that were mentioned in the report. Now, I'm not here to talk about and make you feel guilty about bad parenting. Man, I know there are days when I wake up and I I hear something from my daughter and I just go, man, I failed as a parent. I am horrible. She made a bad decision. You know, so she pushed somebody down or she did something and talked to me. And I, really, as a parent, you take that upon yourself. You feel like it's a reflection of yourself, right? And, and we can be hard on ourselves. I'm not here today to be hard on you as a parent, but I'm here today to simply say, church, it's time that we lay a foundation that our children can see, that they can see us loving God and seeking after him, that they can see that the foundation that exists is not this whimsical good cause, but instead, Jesus Christ, is the foundation. And yes, we may fall short and we're going to fail. But as we fail, we trust in him and he picks us back up and he clothes us in righteousness. And we take steps forward as God begins to lay the foundation in our life. Has anybody ever remodeled a house or built a house before? Maybe Pastor Chris, I know you've done some really big projects like that. Like I saw you put a nail in a board once. Yeah, that was a big project. He took three days off. Uh, <laughs> if you know Pastor Chris, you know he's, just, he's great with tools. Um, <laughs> not. Um, when it comes to remodeling, though, a house or building a house, there's some things that, that you can learn. And quickly, you find this. It always takes longer than you planned, right? It always costs more than you had anticipated it would cost. It's always harder than you expected, and it requires greater effort than you ever expected. You're like, oh man, I'd tear that out and be no problem. You know, I was doing that at our house. I'm like, Marina, you know, we can just tear this little wall out here and we can expand and make our kitchen bigger. And uh, by the end of the day, I had a big hole that just reached up to our attic and, I'm, and this cold air is just blowing in. Right in the middle of winter, I didn't think that when you poke a hole in your kitchen that all the cold air is just gonna flood down. And so now I'm like frantically, you know, trying to find plastic to, to fix that. But it's always more difficult than you, th- than you think about. However, when it's all done, when it's all said and done, you stand back and you look at it and you go, man, that was worth it. It was worth the cost. It was worth the hard work. It was worth all of the time and effort put into it. But folks, I want to tell you, it's the same is true of your home and your family. You make plans to make improvements. You, you, you want your family to love God. You, you want to have instant results. You set a New Year's resolution and you want it to happen tomorrow, but I'm I'm here to tell you that as you lay a foundation, as you build your home, it's always going to take a little longer than you planned. It's going to cost more than you were willing to pay at times, and it's harder than you anticipated. It's going to require even more effort than what you set out to do, and it's not easy, but I'm here to tell you today, with God's help, it can be done, and it is most definitely worth it every effort that you give. Not only do our families need it, but the world needs it. Paul says in verse eight, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light of the Lord, so live as children of light. We must reflect the light of Christ and not hide it. We must make the most of every opportunity. And finally, we must understand what the Lord's will. Paul says this, do not be foolish, but understand what God's will is. What do you think God's will is for this year? Have you ever asked the question, God, what is your will for my life? What, what is it that you want me to do, especially when you're faced with a difficult decision? God, what, what is your will? And there are many times where I've been so frustrated that I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? Just write it on the wall and I'll do it. God, just, just, I'm willing to do whatever. Just draw it out there for me. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't come. And we can sit back and we can be frustrated. Or we can establish our priorities and we can learn how to live today. I had a mentor in my life who always talked about God's will. And as teenagers, teenagers, they struggle with this. Because everybody always asks them, especially when they're juniors and seniors in high school. So what do you want to do after you graduate? I hate that question. So what do you want to be when you grow up? I can't answer that question now and I'm almost 40 years old, right? I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up. I know what I don't want to be, but I I don't know. But it's a pressure that somebody puts on me saying, well, you don't know what God's will for your life is. Guys, I think it's a little bit more simple than trying to map out this like long destination and say, here's where I'm going and I'm going to end up right here. Guys, it's far less about the destination than it is about the journey that is. When you focus on the journey, when you focus on laying the foundation of Christ being at the center of your life, I promise you, you'll reach the destination that God intended for you. You don't just wake up one day and find yourself there. No, you establish your priorities now. You choose to follow him and you end up there because God is faithful. Because God will fulfill the dreams that he has put and planted in your heart. Because God will take you beyond uh, your comfort zone and beyond the borders and the walls that you have established. He will take you beyond that. Why? Because you have trusted in him. So knowing God's will is a lot less about understanding the full destination as it is understanding just do the next right thing. What is the next right thing? I, I'm telling you, maybe some of you in this room right now, you have some major decisions to make. You feel life-altering decisions are ahead of you. Maybe you're struggling through a job change, maybe a move, whatever it is. Maybe you're just struggling personally with depression or something like that, and you're going, I just, I can't understand this. It's consuming me. Can I tell you? The next thing you need to do is the next right thing. Those little decisions of saying, you know what? God, I don't understand. I don't know why I've been placed at this place, at this time, this circumstance in my life. I can't figure it out. But today, I choose to establish you as my priority. Today, I, I choose to put you first. Today, Lord, I I've decided that, that my time when I wake up this morning is going to be dedicated to you. And as you begin to make each and every day at that priority to make the right decision, God begins to put you right where you're supposed to be. And you wake up one day and you realize, I'm right in the center of God's will. I didn't know that this is what it would look like, but I know in my heart, and God has confirmed it in me, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Folks, when you hear people say that, sometimes it can be discouraging. Man, they always hear from God. Hey, man, they're just holy and righteous, and God tells them everything. You know what I want to tell you? God will set you apart. He will put you on that path of righteousness as you continue to lay the foundation of putting Christ first in your life. Establish your priorities And learn how to live today. I want to look at one example here uh, in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah is a a man who uh, God really just laid on his heart. He was passionate about rebuilding the walls uh, around the city of Jerusalem. And in chapter 4 of Nehemiah verse 14, he says this, And I looked and arose and, and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Now, what does that mean? You see, Nehemiah, some little background here. God's people had been held in captivity in a foreign land for 70 years, and in three different stages, they were allowed to go back to their their land and to their home, and Nehemiah led the third group, the last group, and his focus was on the walls around the city because they were in ruins. And his job was to mobilize people in rebuilding those walls. Rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was an important sign to the enemies of Israel. Imagine if you lived in a home and it it looked like it was torn down. That sends a signal that you're defeated, that you're torn down. God was giving them back their land, and, and, and they needed to establish the walls to show that they were a, a people that, who were not any longer defeated, that were now full of uh, God's direction, God's plan in their life. The rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls would show God's blessing upon the people, and again, that God was with them. Bear with me here for a second as I give you a couple things from Nehemiah. Pastor Chris said that since there was no first service today, that I get to preach two sermons this service, right? Okay, good. I meant to clarify that with you, but I I thought that's what you said. But no, I'm almost finished. He says this in, in Nehemiah, "...things got difficult and they weren't easy. Much like, and I would challenge you today, as Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls, things are difficult." Oftentimes it feels like those that are surrounding us are, are more than those that are with us, that life begins to just take on this difficult uh, structure and frustration and fear can break and can creep into your family. But I want to tell you this morning, instead of fighting with your family, instead of fighting with one another in the church, instead of arguing about politics and the things that divide us, I want to flip the script on you and encourage you today to fight for each other to fight for your family, to fight for your children. My daughter's only eight, but I I think she's almost 18. And there are times uh, when I'm at home and I'm just going, man, this is a struggle. This can be a fight. But when I look at it as a constant fight with my daughter, I'm going to win or I'm going to lose every time. She's going to win. But when I understand that I don't need to fight with her, instead, I need to fight for her. You see, she's struggling with things in her school that I never had to deal with when I was a teenager or or, or a child in school, for that matter. They are faced with realities that you and I don't understand. And instead of viewing your relationship with your child as as a constant struggle, begin to view your relationship with your children and your teenagers as something that you fight for instead. Nehemiah, he understood this, and the first thing he did, he requested God's help. There are three things that he did, or four things. He requested God's help. Verse 4 says, hear, O God, for we are despised. Verse 9, he says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. It's important, church, for us to ask God for help. You can't do it on your own. And, And can I just say something? It's okay to let your children see you crying out to God for help. Man, if you, you want to fight for something, let them see you fighting for them. Let them see you raging war in the spirit realm because you understand that the battle is not yours. But there's a greater spiritual battle that we have been called to. That Your, your students and your, your kids are not just acting up against you because they hate life and they hate the family. You know what? They're being under attack. The enemy's trying to rob them of their joy. The enemy doesn't want them to have hope. We need to fight for our children. We need to spend some in prayer, and can I say, it's easy to say, God, thank you for this food and bless it to us, amen, as we pig out. But do your children hear you seek God? Not only when times are rough, but when the blessing comes. Do they understand that everything you have and all that you are is because of who Christ is? It's time that we request God's help. Parents, teach your kids how to pray. Pray. Teach your kids how to love God. If there's one great thing that you can do, it's be imitators of God. So that your children will grow to love him. Second thing that Nehemiah did is he rallied the family. I read the verse before, but he said, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points, verse 13, of the wall. At the exposed places, I posted them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember who the Lord is, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. You see, Nehemiah placed families so they knew what they were fighting for. You need to rally your family and remember who you're fighting for. You're fighting for the next generation. Church, you you may be here today and you don't have children. Maybe your children are all grown up. You are fighting for the next generation that is going to be this church. I I hate it when people say that, that, yeah, one day you're going to be the future of this church. No, our children, they're the church of today right now. We need to see them as valuable assets, not only in the community, but in our church right now. They are the foundation. We are building up the next generation now. We don't wait until their 18th birthday and say, okay, now we're going to teach you the great wisdom of who God is. We need to do that at eight years old. At 18 months, we need to be praying over our children. Grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles, it's time that you begin to fight for this next generation. The next thing that Nehemiah did is he remembered who God was. He remembered who God was, and after looking things over and sensing discouragement, what a rich story, by the way, if you read the entire story of Nehemiah. Do you know there was a, one time at a point where Nehemiah knew it was so important to build the walls? God had instructed him. He knew that that was his job, was to rebuild the walls. But the enemy was so strong. The enemy was tacking with, with all that they, they had. That there were, there, were, there were times when they were fighting with one sword, a sword in one hand, and they were building a wall with their other hand. Bible says that they were constantly aware of where the enemy was. Folks, I'm here to. I I don't know if if you enjoy just somebody telling you that life is going to be easy. I would rather tell you look, it's going to be difficult at times. But I want to tell you the key to surviving that. I want to tell you the answer for winning that battle is understanding that the enemy is out there. Don't take your eye off of him, right? Know that he's there. But as you fight, know and remember who God is. Folks, we serve an incredible, mighty, awesome God who is faithful. We serve a God who is omniscient, who is all-powerful and mighty. You need to stay focused and not give up. Nehemiah says, don't be afraid of them. Remember who the Lord is, who is great, and who is awesome. And fight for your families. Remember to fight. And as parents, we take drastic measures sometimes to get things uh, instilled in our children. But I want to tell you, the most drastic thing and the, most, the, the greatest mistake that you can do is to stop fighting for your kids. As it gets difficult, and as you begin to feel like life is hard, folks, that's when we need to fight even harder. That's when some days, when you don't feel like it because you have a lot to do, and you're trying to build something, and you're trying to make things happen, you feel like you don't have time for it, it's time to carry that sword. Be on guard and on alert to attack the enemy. Folks, I I know God wants to do a work in our midst, but sometimes we are so focused on the destination, that we forget that there is a battle right here, right next to us? Do all of your children know that you have not stopped pursuing or fighting for them? The fifth chapter of Ephesians deals with all of these things and these roles of the family. What's interesting is that he talks about spiritual maturity in chapter 4. As he talks about in chapter 5 to imitate God, he goes right into that as we lay the foundation. As we're talking about building that foundation for Christ. In Ephesians 6, Paul says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Folks, it's time for us to put on the full armor of God. That we would not grow complacent or that we would not fall asleep in our struggle, but we would wake up. That we would begin to invest in the generation that is, that is after us. That we would invest in our children. Moms and dads, it's time to fight for your family. Don't wait for politics to get it right. Don't wait for the, our governors and our senators. Folks, they're messed up. There's no answers coming from there. The only answer comes from Jesus Christ. But we, church, have to wake up and understand who is building our house. Because if we labor in vain right? It's not going to to have any lasting accomplishment in the lives of our children. Jesus Christ has to be at the center of this house. Jesus Christ has to be at the center of real life community church. I'm telling you, you can have all the right chairs, you can have all the right music, you can have all the right looks, but if Christ is not the foundation, we've built it in vain. Your children need to see you fighting. Fighting. get pretty serious sometimes because I don't take it lightly when I stand up here the honor to share the word of God with you but it really is very serious to me when I look out at the world and I think what does my daughter have to look forward to what is in store for them if we don't get this right can I tell you we don't have to get politics right we don't we don't have to get our good causes right The one thing we have to get right is establishing who Jesus Christ is. We cannot fail at that. We cannot fail at being godly examples to the next generation. Today you're here, moms and dads, I want to say maybe you feel like the enemy has been attacking you. Maybe you feel like you don't understand the big picture. Maybe you can't wrap your mind around what God is doing and you feel lost and you feel like, I don't don't get it. Man, I, I do the things and I come to church and I volunteer and we do all the right things. But maybe today the Holy Spirit is just speaking to you and saying, you know what? You're doing all the right things. The foundation is a little shaky. Do you know you can do all the right things for the wrong reasons? Do you know you can look the part and totally miss The reason why, the reason why is Jesus. Not only is everything that we have his, but we are his. He has called us to be imitators of himself. It's not just a fancy verse in the Bible. It is something that is so key to winning the war every day. Remember, your battle is not against your spouse. Your battle is not against the person sitting across the aisle from you. Your battle's not against your neighbor. Your battle's not against politics. It's not against your children. Your battle rages in the heavenly realms. Your battle is not yours, but it rages in the dark. And the way that you win that battle is by submitting yourself to him, putting on the armor, and taking on the fight.